Today is Mother's Day. And you know what? Typically, we have this kind of tradition here at Kettlebrook that on Mother's Day, uh, a lot of times my wife, Cara, will give the message on Mother's Day. She's done that in years past. And, uh, and, and we were talking, and she's like, well, I, I don't get it. Why do I have to work on Mother's Day? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, that's a great idea. So I'm giving her the day off on Mother's Day this morning and giving the message. But the great thing is, is that she's going to be speaking on Father's Day and giving me the morning off on Father's Day. So that's, that's the way we roll around here at Kettlebrook, you know? That's, that's how it kind of works. And we're in this series, the middle of the series, like that we, the bumper just kind of described, that we're calling distractions. And that the main premise of the series is that God has purposes and plans and intentions for each and every one of our lives. Intentions for our good, for our, for our success, and, and, and even for our prosperity. I was with a guy this week, and, uh, you know, we were just doing a little Bible study, and we were talking about the fact that, you know what, when we follow God's commands, in general, things go well for us. He wants our good. And, uh, in fact, we looked at, we were looking at this passage in Deuteronomy, and right before the people of the nation of Israel were to go into this promised land, and the, he reminds them over and over again. He sp- spends several chapters. And he says, now, if you will simply obey me and love me and do what I command, you know what? You're going to prosper in this land that you're going into. You're going to do well. You're going to do you're, you're going to be successful. And uh, and so that's God's that's part and parcel of God's plans for each and every one of our lives is he's a good father. He's got good things in store for us. And he's also got plans and purposes for the world. So like a good father, he invites us into the family business. And he says, hey, I want you to be a part of what I am doing in the world. So as we think about what is our, what is our purpose in life, what is our significance in life, and, and what am I supposed to be doing, that purpose and that significance that you have, now those intentions that God has for you, somehow fits into his plans and purposes that he has for the whole world. And that's for, and that's that uh, that the whole world would know about Jesus Christ. Now, don't start with the whole world, okay? But you can start with your neighborhood. You can start with people around. You can start with the with your friends and your coworkers and your family and stuff like that. And the thing is, is that we get distracted from this all the time. So that's why we're calling this series distractions. In the first week, we talked about the fact that we looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. In fact, that's kind of the anchor verse that we're using for this whole series is Hebrews 12, 1 and, 1 and 2, that we fix our eyes on Jesus. And having fixed our eyes on Jesus, we are then able to run the race that's before us and and when we get distracted, we can get distracted by all sorts of things. We can look for love and affirmation and acceptance uh, from anyone else other than Jesus. You know, when we've already been accepted, we've already been affirmed, we've already been validated, all those good things those, that Jesus does for us. We've, when we understand that, then we don't go looking for that from other people and other folks. Then we talked about the fact that we talked about the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel were God's own unique called out people at that time. And they were to be his representatives. They were to be distinct from all the other nations around them. 
And uh, God called him. He, said, he says, listen, I want you to display to the whole world, because they were the only nation at that time, the only people at that time who were connected with the living God, the one true God. And he says, listen, I want you to, to obey my commands so that you will then represent to all the nations around you what I am like. And if you do this, you'll be an accurate representation of, of the living God. And if you read the Old Testament, the, old, the, the history of Israel is this history of them getting distracted time after time again. And they always end up wanting to be like the nations around them, okay, rather than being distinct and different. And we talked about the fact that the story of Israel is actually a metaphor for our story as well, because we, as the people of God, are to be different from the world. We're to be distinct from the world. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be just different. That's, I mean that in the best possible way, <laughs> you know, from, from, uh, the, from the world around you. From, you're going to have different, a different value system. You're going to have different priorities. You're going to be marked by things like love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the fruits of the Spirit. That's going to that's determine and define the kind of person that you're becoming. But we can get distracted by all that. We want to be, we want to be just like everybody else. Okay? And, uh, and then last week, if you are here last week, if you weren't here last week, you've got to listen online. Dan did a great job talking about Genesis chapter 3 and talked about, talking about how our first parents... We're in this wonderful paradise by God. They could do anything they wanted. And the, the, the strategy of the evil one was to come, around, come alongside of them and have them focus on the one thing that they weren't allowed to have. And you can, we, get dis, we get distracted by, by discontentment and dissatisfaction and under, beginning to believe that God is just this cosmic killjoy who really doesn't want our good. And, uh, and I, I don't know about you, but I can be distracted by discontentment all the time. Today we're going to look at a, at a story in the New uh, Testament. The New Testament is everything that happened from Jesus on in the Bible. It's the last third of your, your Bibles. And uh, if, you have, if you don't have a Bible, Amy's going to be passing out some of the red Bibles we have. You can find that, I think, on page 692 of the red Bibles. We're going to be looking at a really, um, for some of us, this is, a, this is kind of a familiar passage, a familiar story in the life of Jesus. It's fairly well known, but it's a narrative that serves as an amazing and kind of instructive example of what following Jesus actually looks like and how the distractions of our very circumstances can keep us from stepping into the life that God has for each and every one of us. So turn in your Bibles, if you have, to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read this morning, later, a little bit later on, verses 22 to 33. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. If you're new here at Kettlebrook, this is something that we do every week. Every week we'll open up a passage from the Bible. We'll look at it. We'll kind of dissect it and, and talk about it for a little while. And then we'll kind of see how can we apply this. Does this scripture have anything that we can apply to our daily life that will change the way that we live? So before we dive in there, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever... Uh, been in a situation or a circumstance where uh, where you have just been completely overwhelmed by your circumstances, like almost to the point of paralysis, 
where it's like whatever it is you're facing, whatever, you know, life season you may be in, you know, wherever you are, you were just overwhelmed and almost could not move because of the circumstances in your life. We've, have you been there from time to time? I'm sure maybe some of you have. Some of you may be there right now. I'll pray for you afterwards. Come talk to me. You know, so, um, I, I was there. I was, I was kind of in a situation like this not too long ago. Um, my family and I, we were on a kind of a mini vacation for a spring break. Uh, and we went to this place in Kentucky called the Red River Gorge. Okay. Haven't you, haven't you ever been to the Red River Gorge? Okay. Now, I, I just want to kind of uh, back up and make my excuses on the front end of this, of this story. Okay. Okay. I was not always afraid of heights. Okay. When I was young, when I was a young man, I, I, I had no fear of heights. You know, I had, I, I would climb on cliffs and do, you know, crazy stuff. I went parachuting several times, jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. Um, I got a picture of the, of, of my friends and I. We used to climb this train trellis up in, uh, uh, up in Adam's Friendship near the Wisconsin Dells. And we'd just shimmy up these I-beams and then we'd look down. We had no idea it was in the water down there and we're just like, yeah, let's just jump off. And you gotta spin your arms to keep from moving forward and falling, making a mess and stuff like that. And so, so, but, but something, thank you, please take that down, I'm getting nervous, just like, yeah, but, but something happened between the ages of 40-something and 50-something. I began to have a healthy respect for heights, and now I think I've moved into the situation where I, it's not that I not only have a healthy respect for heights, but I just, I hate heights. You know, I I just can't I, I I just can't stand it. When when we were in Chicago just the other the other month, uh, you know, they have on the on the Sears Tower, which is now known as the Willis Tower, they have those things now the, these these glass encased balconies, where you can walk out onto the onto the balcony and you can look down like several hundred stories onto the street below. And my kids are out there and they're looking and they're like, Dad, come on out here, you know, come on here. And I'm like, No, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'll just, I'll just, I'll take the picture right from here, safely 10 feet away from that glass encased balcony. And so to back, so to back up, we were at this place called the Red River Gorge and we were just hiking. We we're just hiking around and our kids were running around and, and we got to this place in the, in the path where there was like this land bridge between the, the area of land that we were on and the, and the place we had to get to. And there's a picture that we have on there and this land bridge, I, I kid you not, it was about the size of half a road. I mean, it was like 15 feet wide. But on each side of it, it was like this sheer drop-off into oblivion, you know. And, and, uh, and so my kids, they're just, they're, they're just like running across it. There's, you know, there's Matthew and his friend Keaton, and they're, they're like running across. And they're probably got a football there to tossing around and stuff like that. And they get about halfway across, and they look behind, and they're like, there's me. I'm like, they're like, hey, Dad, come on. No, I'm like, no, no, I think I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm good right here. And they're like, well, we gotta, we gotta keep going. I mean, like, this is the path. This is, this is the way we're going. And I'm like, okay, I just, I just froze. I was paralyzed because, like, on each side, you know, those things, there's just these drop-offs. And so I, I finally realized that if I focused and fixed my eyes on a tree at the end, that I could just kind of take one step in front of the other, you know, and it's like, it was so silly, because it's like, picture like this guy walking across a road, 
you know, or walking the width of a road, and he's like, like this, you know. And I, I realized that as, whenever I took my eyes off of that tree, you know, and I began to enjoy the scenery a little bit, my legs would just, I would slowly sink down into like, into like a, almost like a crawl position, you know, so I just got to stay fixed on the tree, stay fixed on the tree. I can make it across, you know. It's, it's just probably like about 300, 400 feet across. And I, I think that that's kind of a, a, a little illustration of, of what we're going to read today in the scriptures in the story about Peter. Is that when I had my eyes fixed on that tree, I made forward progress in the journey that I was on. But when I took my eyes off of that tree, then I began to, then I began to slow and I, got, I began to sink and I began to get nervous and uh, concerned and stuff like that. And that's exactly what happens to our friend Peter in uh, Matthew chapter 14. So why don't we read this together? Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while, the, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray, by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water. And came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out with his hand and caught him. You of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? When he climbed, they climbed into the boat. The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you are the son of God. Well. The sea, this is the story that many of us know, and, and the Sea of Galilee, it's not, it's actually not really a sea, you know? It's actually a, it's actually a freshwater lake that's inland there in the, the Holy Land. And, and we don't really have anything that's comparable to the Sea of Galilee here in Wisconsin. It's a big lake. It's about a, a third of the size of Lake Winnebago, okay? And, and all around the Sea of Galilee are these huge, huge, uh, you know, kind of hills. And it says a mountainside, but they're really just they're really just big big hill and they big hills and they surround almost all of the Sea of Galilee with some, a few exceptions. And within these hills are these canyons, and these canyons are, are on in the east and west side of the lake, and they make for some great squalls that come up on the lake. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is kind of famous for the storms that can come up on it, and this this you know fairly large lake can sometimes have waves that are up to seven feet tall, seven feet, you know, rollers and rockers on, um, on the lake. And so this is kind of the, the situation that they, they found themselves. And so Jesus here in this story is he's, he's actually trying to get some time to himself. If you read the whole chapter, chapter 14, at the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus just finds out that John the Baptist has been beheaded. And John was his his close cousin. Not only was he his cousin, but he was like his partner in the mission. 
and and they shared ministry together. They were like a team together, and they were like bring, going to inaugurate the kingdom of God together. And John was the one who, you know, kind of pointed out Jesus to all of Israel and said, listen, be, there's the guy right there. <laughs> Behold, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus is going away, and he's trying to get some time to himself. The crowds keep on following him. Uh, he feeds 5,000 people. They just get done feeding these 5,000 people. And then Jesus makes the people to go out into the boat. He forces the disciples to go out in the boat. And, you know, now this is interesting because, you know, Jesus knows there's going to be a storm. He knows that. But yet he still forces his, his disciples to get out into the boat. And then it, it says there that on the fourth watch of the night, Okay, then verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night. So at this time, it is now about 3 o'clock a.m., okay? These guys have been out in the boat all night long, you know, striving against the wind, straining at the oars. They are literally exhausted, physically spent. They haven't slept. They've been working all night. They've been getting nowhere, and they're in this storm, okay? I mean, how many of you have been out in the elements in a storm? It's not a fun time, is it? It's exhausting. And these guys were in a boat without any cover in a storm. And they're, they're straining at the oars all night long. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, who do they see? Jesus comes walking on the water. And, of course, they freak out. I mean, put yourselves in their position. We would probably think it's a ghost, too. You know, it's totally black outside. There's lightning, and all of a sudden, lightning, you see this flash of lightning, and you see there's a figure coming towards you. You're like, holy cow, who is this? And they're, they freak out, and, uh, and Jesus says, he says to them, he says, don't worry. Hey, chill out, okay? That's what it says in Greek, actually. No, it doesn't say that. He says, relax. He says, take courage. It's I. It's me. It's Jesus. And, and Peter, at this point, he senses that this is kind of a unique moment in time that this is kind of a, a a divine moment for all of them as his followers they've seen jesus do a lot of cool things but here he is walking on the water they're not sure if it's really him they think it's a ghost and so peter wants to know that it's really jesus and he says he says jesus if it's really you tell me to come out onto the water and join you out there on top of the water and jesus probably is thinking to himself thinking he's going this is going to be rich this is, this is going to be really good, you know. And he's, he doesn't get mad at Peter. I love it. He doesn't get angry at Peter. He doesn't chide him. He doesn't reprimand him. He says, okay, come. Come on out. And for a moment, Peter does it, right? I mean, he does something that no one in humanity has ever done and no one will ever do again. He's actually walking on water. And as long as he keeps his eyes fixed on jesus he does it he actually he's actually doing it he's actually walking on water but what happens he he gets distracted doesn't he he begins to look around he sees the wind and the blowing wind and he sees the waves and he's like oh my goodness i'm in the middle of a storm he remembers his circumstances and he takes his eyes off of jesus and immediately when he takes his eyes off of jesus he begins to sink. He begins to drown. This is a great 
real life illustration of what we've been looking at in Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Can you put those verses up there, Steve? I think they're in there somewhere. Hebrews chapter 2, 12, verses 1 and 2 are the kind of the theme anchor verses for what we're doing. Therefore, he says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay, let's throw everything. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Okay, so the writer of the book of Hebrews seems to understand that there is this direct correlation between fixing your eyes on Jesus and being able to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Each one of us has a race that is marked out for us. We have a course that is marked out for us, a journey with Jesus that is marked out for us. And if we want to journey and make forward progress on that journey with Jesus, we need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. But when we follow Jesus, inevitably, there's going to be storms. There's always going to be storms. In fact, Jesus told us a, a, a parable about sto- the storms of life. And when he talks about the storms of life, he doesn't say, now, if there are storms in life. He says, when there are storms of life. Storms in life, especially when you're following Jesus, are inevitable they're guaranteed they're going to happen but in that parable that jesus is is talking about matthew chapter 7 he says he talks about the fact that there's two kinds of people there are people who hear my words and obey them and put them into practice and they're able to withstand the storms of life and there are people who hear my words and refuse to obey them, refuse to put them into practice, and their house basically collapses in the storms of life. And the only difference between someone whose house collapses and whose house doesn't collapse is whether or not they hear the words of, God, of Jesus and they obey him. And the author of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and then then, only then, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, will we be able to run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Now, when you get back to Peter, you look at Peter. Peter wasn't distracted by some of the things that we've been talking about in this series, right? We've been talking about how we can get distracted by all sorts of things in our world. We can get distracted by social media. We can get distracted by entertainment. We can get distracted by television and stuff like that. All those things get us off the message of Jesus, off the mission of Jesus. But Peter wasn't distracted by any of that, was he? What was Peter distracted by? His circumstances, his immediate circumstances, the storms of life. And whenever we follow Jesus, there's going to be storms in life. Whenever you decide to follow Jesus, there's going to be storms in life. Storms are those things, those circumstances. When you look around you, you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm absolutely overwhelmed. This is crazy. This is nuts. And we all have our storms. Maybe you're here and you are a young mom. <laughs> if ever there's a storm in life, it's when you're a young mom. And you are just 
overwhelmed by the amount of housework. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and and you're like, and you you are like sweeping back the tide of diapers and chores and cooking and cleaning, and you're like, does this ever ever come to an end? And you're tempted to sink under the circumstances that you find yourself in. Jesus comes to you and says, keep your eyes fixed on me. What you are doing as a mom is the most important thing that you can be doing right now for the kingdom. We are now, uh, as a church, we're about 12 years old as a church. Okay, we started in 2005, right around this time. And so the kids that were like, Four and five years old when we started are now teenagers. Did I count? Okay. They're now teenagers. And they're now in high school. And it's, it's crazy because when you see these kids running around, you know, when they're four and five years old, you, it's hard to think of them as being world changers. But they, now they're teenagers and they're in high school. And I don't know if you're aware of this, But our high school ministry is the most exciting ministry that we have going on right now in Kettlebrook Church. It's absolutely amazing what's going on inside of our high school ministry. And these kids that have been raised in the church and been raised by moms and dads who love Jesus and who have kept their eyes fixed on Jesus are now at the point where they are turning into world changers. My wife, Cara, decided to... Uh, lead a Bible study and offer it to the gals in the uh, in the youth group this summer. It's going to be on how to be a missionary. All right, like they're going to go through the Bible. And they're going to study God's plan for the whole nation, for all all the nations in the world, from beginning Genesis to Revelation. Real exciting stuff, right? If you're thinking high school kids, they're just going to get really bored. Of this, right? No, she thought she might have four four girls. She's got over, she's got almost 15 girls that are signed up, like saying, how can I be a part of this? How can I be a part of what God is doing in the world? Isn't that cool? I mean, they were growing up to be world changers. I had a, uh, I had a, a meeting with a, with a high school kid this week, and uh, he said he wanted to meet with me, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. You know, I'd love to meet with you. I, I don't know what it was about. I thought maybe it might be just... Like, you know, maybe he's having a problem with his parents or maybe he's dealing with temptation or something like that. And I sat down with him and he said, he said, okay. He says, I've got, I've got friends that are non-believers. Uh, they, they, they respect me. Uh, they know that I'm a Christian. So now what do I do? How do I tell them about Jesus? And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, he says, I'm at the point where he says, I want to tell them about Jesus. How do I do that? And I'm like, all right, let's talk about this. I'm like, isn't this so cool? Here's this young man, this young adult, high school kid in our midst. And he's more enthused and more excited and more engaged with what Jesus wants to do in him and through him than most of the adults are, than I am. I was taken aback by this kid, you know. And all of this happened is because... One mom continued to keep her eyes focused on Jesus, didn't take her eyes off of Jesus, kept her eyes focused on him, the author and perfecter of her, of her faith. And she began, and then she began to, to mentor and parent this child and mother this child and nurture this child to become 
the young man that he is today. So what does it mean to keep your eyes focused on Jesus in the midst of the storms of your life? I don't know what your storms could be. Maybe, maybe your storm is just being overwhelmed with the, the responsibilities at work. Maybe it's making the making your numbers or making the next promotion or, or being, you know, used and abused by the, 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 the structures at your place of work. And, and you're forgetting the fact that, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be here as a light, as a living demonstration to others around me about what Jesus is like. And you your your temptation is to sink under the circumstances of your work environment we have a guy in our small group he's one of the most capable competent guys i know his company sends him all over the world to fix things to fix these these machines that they make and um and whenever we sit down with him at small group we're like all right tell us about your week what was it like because he sits down at lunch with these guys at work, and they're like, "Okay, Mister Religious Guy, what's it all? What's it all about?" You know, and then they, and then he gets a chance to have these conversations with people at work. See, he didn't take, he doesn't take his eyes off of Jesus. He realizes that even in the midst of going into corporate America and working whatever whatever job it is, I don't, I don't, I don't care what job you have. That is your ministry if you are there physically whatever the real estate is that your own two feet take up that's your ministry that's where you're called to be on mission with jesus if you're a follower of jesus if you're not off if you're not a follower of jesus you're off the hook you don't need to worry about that but come talk to me i'd like to talk to you about that (laughs) but wherever you are you're on mission, Jesus. And, and the circumstances of our lives, of our work, of our parenting can always threaten to sink us. So what does it mean to, to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus? To, what, what Peter was doing at that time was looking at Jesus. As long as he looked at Jesus, as long as he fixed his eyes on Jesus, he had it. He was able to do the impossible. He was able to walk on water. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus and focused on his circumstances... Then he became, became overwhelmed. I think it means three things. I think we can have these up, up there on the, on the board. Three things. What does it mean to, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? One is remember his purposes. Okay? Keep the big picture in mind. That God wants the knowledge of his glory to fill the whole earth. And they, they want, he wants what he has done and his plans and purposes for the world to be known throughout the whole world. And we get to play a small part of that. And whatever it is we're doing in life somehow has to fit into the big picture of God's purposes for the world. Not only remember his purposes, but remember his promises. His promises are that his plan will not fail. It's guaranteed. The outcome is not in doubt. What Jesus said will happen is going to happen. The message of Jesus is going to be preached and proclaimed all throughout the world. So if you have aligned yourself with Jesus, you have aligned yourself on the winning side. On the winning team. What Jesus said is going to happen cannot fail. And he has promised that that is going to happen. This message of the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in all the nation. And then the end is going to come. 
So we want to remember his purposes for the world. We remember, want to remember his promises that, that we can do it. This is exactly what happened in the Old Testament. Whenever there was a guy who stepped up and said, I don't care how difficult the task is, we can do it. Do you know why? Because God promised that we will win, and that we will prevail. In the Old Testament, when Israel sent in 12 spies to scout out the land that he was giving them, 10 of the spies came back and they said, no, we can't do it. They're too big. There's a storm out there. There's wind. There's waves. And then they were looking at their circumstances. And two guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, I don't care how big they are. Jesus said we should do it. Well, not Jesus. He hadn't been born yet. God said we should do it. Okay? I'm jumping to application too fast. Yeah. God said we should do it. And it doesn't matter how big they are. God is for us. David, little David, who's this, you know, shepherd boy. All of Israel is cowering in caves. And the Philistines are talking smack talk against their God and saying, hey, if you guys are really the people of God, why don't you come out and fight us? And Goliath comes out and says, hey, isn't there anybody who's going to fight me? You know, I thought you guys were so powerful. I thought you had Yahweh as your God. I guess he must be impotent. And David steps up and says, is anyone going to deal with this guy? Is anyone going to fight him? And they're like, oh, no, we're all too scared. He said, well, I'll do it. It doesn't matter how big he is. It doesn't matter how big the storm is. God said that he's going to fight for us. And he goes out with five smooth stones and takes the first one, bullseye, kills the guy, cuts off his head. That's how you know the Bible's true. He's 12 years old. He cuts off Goliath's head, takes it back to his tent. He's like, this is my head. I killed this guy. You know, read the story. He really does that. He's a 12 year old kid. You know, the, the Bible is full of stories who not only remember the purposes of God, but remember the promises of God. God's purposes will prevail. They will stand. And if we want to stay afloat in the storms of life and not sink, we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, his, his purposes for the world, his promises in the world. And not only that, but his presence with us. Jesus said before he's died, he said, listen. I will be with you. He says, go into all the world, wherever you find yourself, as you're going, literally as it says, it says it's, it's not an imperative, but wherever you go, as you're going, I want you to preach the gospel, and I will be with you. It's one of the most prevalent promises in Scripture. I will be with you. Joshua chapter 1, I will never leave you nor forsake you. John chapter 16, Jesus says, hey, if I go away, don't worry, I'm going to come back. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to live with you. You're not going to be alone. God's presence, Jesus' presence is always there with you when you're in mission with him. We may have a tendency to get distracted all the time by the circumstances in our life, especially, especially when you're on mission with God. There's going to be storms. There's a lot of families in our lives, in our life, in our church body that has taken in kids uh, from foster care or adopted kids into their lives from, from, you know, from either overseas or domestically. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing to see. Uh, but you know what? That can cause some storms. <laughs> that can cause some disruption in your family. You know, and there are probably times when you're a, a, a mom or young mom or young dad and, and you're like, this is, these are some storms I didn't expect. When you bring, you know, you know, the, a new child, doesn't matter how great they are, 
It's a disruption. And uh, I, I was a disruption as a kid, I'm sure. <laughs> but, but you know what? They, they do it because they're on mission with God. And that you may not be able to see the outcome of what you're doing. If you're one of these families and you've brought in foster kids or you've adopted kids in your, your family, you may not be able to see the outcome. But God does. And his purposes will prevail. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I just want to tell you one quick story of a gal that I knew when I was growing up. And then we'll close. Her name is uh, Kim. Kim Lewenberger. I knew her. She was part of the youth group that I was in when I was growing up. Kim was a great gal. One of my very, very good friends. And uh, uh, But it was always real strange. You know, Kim, even though she was Kim Lewenberger, she lived with the Boswell family. I didn't quite get it at the time. Now, Bob Boswell was like a brother. And it's like, that's, that's strange. She's got a brother by the different last name than she is. I didn't realize that at the time that she was a foster kid in the foster care system. And the Boswell family had brought her in and, and uh, brought her into her house. And she lived with them almost her entire growing up years. And that family made such an impact in Kim's life. I don't know what kind of life she would have led if she wasn't with the Boswell family, but she became one of their own. And now Kim is a mom of her own. She's got five kids of her own. There's a, fam- a picture of Kim's family up there, her and her husband. And they have just started this wonderful legacy of life and of goodness and of grace and of the kingdom because one family decided to fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of the faith. And I'm sure that when they brought in Kim into their family, there was probably no lack of storms. There probably were some storms. There probably were some circumstances. But they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus. And because of that, they saw the kingdom come. That's still reverberating today. What would it be like if we became a community of people who, in the midst of the circumstances of our lives, as we journey on mission together with Jesus, if we would keep our eyes fixed on him, the author and perfecter of faith. Remember the the purposes of God. Remember the the promises of God that his plans will prevail. They won't, won't fail at all. And that his presence is always with us. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do some some music. And during that, we'll put up some questions here. I just want you to reflect on these questions that may help you to apply some of the things that we've heard this morning. Let me just pray. Father God, as we reflect on the story of Peter walking on water in the midst of the storm, we have to be honest And realize that as we journey with you, Jesus, there's inevitably going to be storms in our life. Storms that threaten to distract us and derail us, cause us to doubt what you're doing in our lives. And maybe it's at times like that, just like Peter, when he began to sink, we need to cry out and say, Lord, save me. Maybe there's somebody here. And you might feel overwhelmed by the circumstances in your life. Might you hear the words that Peter said when he cried out, Lord, save me. Save me. Jesus reached out immediately and grabbed his hand and said, I'm right here. 
Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt that I was here? And then we'd hear the reassuring words of Jesus. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God, help us to be a community of people who are on mission with you. And when the storms of our life hit, we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name.